Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegel here with Sean Moran of Sean Mo Hoops. Sean, it's been a minute since we talked, man. How's life treating you lately? Life is good, John. Tomorrow is, is Thursday, the start of uh, March Madness 2018. Uh, always one of the best days of the year and excited to see how the Tar Heels do as they uh, try to defend their championship. I know this is officially college basketball season, as they say. The madness is finally here, whatever cliches you want to use. And, you know, this is kind of just going to continue a trend for us at Inside Carolina, just breaking down the brackets as a whole and then focusing a little bit, you know, on Carolina, as I, I think we should, given that we are Carolina website, right? Definitely, definitely. <laughs> so anyways, man, um, yeah, let's just start with this. The game that's going on right now as we record, Sean, is Arizona State versus Syracuse, one of these first four games. Are you one of the purists that says the tournament does not officially start until Thursday, or do you count these games as, you know, kind of the, the kickoff to the NCAA tournament? Uh, I, I guess on that note, I would have to go a, a purist. I watched a little bit of the UCLA game in St. Bonaventure yesterday, and, and we'll we'll be catching the game tonight, but as far as when when it really starts, I always count as uh, Thursday as a start date, and that's usually the day I'm I'm out in Vegas on the on the first day of the real tournament. But you know, for these games, it's it's definitely fun to get them started. You know, earlier in the week, and I remember last year it was uh, USC Providence, which actually turned out to be a pretty amazing game. I think USC was down big at the half and ended up coming back. Uh, so we'll see if any of the games tonight have that sort of kind of excitement uh, with with any team coming from behind or or a buzzer beater to get things going. Yeah, definitely. I think the St. Bon, uh, bon, Bonvedere, oh God, how, how do you say their name again? I honestly the forgot. Bonnies. <laughs> the Bonnies, yeah. Um, I watched a little bit of that game too, and it was actually pretty good. And, you know, I'm kind of interested to see how Syracuse does tonight because we can go ahead and start our discussion on the actual bracket with this one. A lot of people were critical that the orange got in there. I know I was looking at some of the stuff you said on social media, just, you know, kind of comparing their resume with a lot of other teams. And it seemed as if Syracuse, you know, if they had been left out, I don't think they would have had much of an argument against it, you know? Uh, you know, I think I was, and I don't know why I kind of focused on Syracuse, because I think there's a few teams, Syracuse and Texas, where to me, you know, I'd rather see kind of a smaller school, a mid-major, such as Middle Tennessee State or St. Mary's get in that hasn't had the opportunities that a Syracuse has. Middle Tennessee State, for example, uh, they went 16-2 and in their conference. They, they lost two games to Marshall, who has one of the most underrated players, John Elmore, in the conference. But then you have kind of a Syracuse or Arizona State in these Power 5 conferences or Power 6. Uh, Syracuse went 8-10 and in the ACC. Out of conference, they, they scheduled good, which is why a lot of people were saying they made the tournament. So they, they knew how to schedule, but the thing is they just didn't really – 
really beat anybody. They beat Maryland, who didn't make the tournament. They beat UConn, uh, who obviously fired Kevin Ollie. And then they had a a close scare at Georgetown, beating a pretty poor Georgetown team on the road. But they, you know, they scheduled pretty good mid-majors and stuff like that. So that's how they got in. But to me... You know they they really didn't do much in the ACC, and they they had their plenty of opportunities to be a UVA, a Duke, or a UNC, but went zero and five against those teams and got two of their eight wins against Pitt. So to me, it you know I, it's it's not really that exciting watching kind of these mediocre teams play that really could be in the NIT. I definitely agree with you there. A lot of people may say, well, you know, they're a power conference team. On the whole, they probably have more talent than some of the mid-majors. But if you're looking at you know what makes college basketball, and especially the NCAA tournament, really so special is just it's kind of one of those really true, you roll the ball out and anything can happen. You know, So I agree with you there. I think it would be interesting to, to especially see a team like St. Mary's that was in the top 25 at one point. I mean, for them not to get in was kind of surprising to me. Yeah, you know, just going back a few weeks ago uh, to the very first uh, Carolina-Duke game when Duke played at Carolina, St. Mary's was, I believe, rated number 11 or number 12, and Carolina was just a spot below them at the time. And then they suffered um, an upset loss to San Francisco and then lost to BYU in the tournament. And here they are looking at the NIT. And they did pretty well in the tournament last year and had Jock Landale, one of the top big guys in the country. And really kind of a, an efficient team that can shoot the ball. Great, you know, great coach and Randy Bennett. So I think they could have, you know, won a game or two at, at the very least, but definitely threatened some of the big, big teams. And, and to me, it's just kind of, I'd rather see some of those teams you're not seeing on ESPN every day versus a Syracuse or a Texas or Arizona State for that matter, that uh, had plenty of opportunities in conference play and, and really didn't do much with it. So you know that that's kind of where where I stand on that, and I'm sure a lot of people would would disagree and and would argue for a, a power conference. But to me, you know, the part of the special thing about March is watching some of these smaller schools play uh, the big schools. You know, nose nose to nose uh, the whole game. You know, you can go look in the South and and just looking at the Miami Loyola Chicago game, for example. Miami finished third place in the ACC, and they are only a one and a half to two point favorite on a neutral court over a team that most people probably hadn't heard of until they beat Florida earlier in the year. Yeah, that was a surprising line to me. And and, and actually several of the lines for this opening round are lower than what you may believe. Which of the teams that, that did make the field though, Sean, are you most excited to watch in this tournament? And you can cheat and say Carolina if you want, but I hope that you got someone else in mind as well though. Yeah, well, I just touched on Loyola Chicago. I'm definitely excited to see them play Miami uh, just because I do think they, they can be dangerous. Now, they could easily go out out to Miami just given the size and athleticism they have. But Loyola Chicago, their best player, uh, Clayton Custer, he originally committed to uh, Iowa State and, and was there before transferring. And uh, one of their small fours, Dante Agram, is a kid from Simeon, which is usually one of the top uh, schools in the state of Illinois and, and where Jabari Parker played. So they, they have some talent. And, you know, without Wichita State being in the Missouri Valley, they, they definitely capitalized and, and took advantage of that. But in addition to Loyola Chicago, I would say Houston is a team I'm, I'm interested in seeing. Mm. I, I really enjoyed watching them. I know you guys touched on Houston in the last podcast, but 
Rob Gray was was really fun to to watch in the the AAC tournament, and I think they kind of have a tough matchup with San Diego State, uh, just given how how they played in the Mountain West, reeling off three in a while, three in a row, and really beating Nevada. Uh, I think it was by almost thirty points. So I think that that game will be very interesting to watch, just given the different styles. And then uh, I'd say two two games in the Midwest. Um, I know a lot of Carolina fans will remember back to. I think it was November, but the UNC Bucknell game. And that one was closer than a lot of people wanted. And uh, Bucknell, they, they definitely have a lot of talent. And I could see them giving Michigan State fits. Um, I think Michigan State will be too strong for them. But if they're matched up with any of the other three seeds, I could easily see Bucknell taking a game uh, or two to start. And then finally, we're going to a one sixteen matchup at Kansas Penn game, and I know everybody's kind of been been talking about Penn, and I, I was surprised to see them get a 16 seed. Just looking over the past few years, uh, the Ivy League has usually been seeded on the 12 or 13 line. I think there is one year in the past five or six where Harvard got a 14 seed, and they ended up uh, beating the three seed that year. So I think Kansas got a really tough matchup in the first round, and uh, it looks like in Vegas uh, it started as a 16 point spread and has been been bet down to 13 and a half which is pretty pretty low for kind of a 116 usually you see those 23 24 28 point spreads in in that round so you know a lot of good lower tier teams that that have these these tight spreads so it's not really as uh, maybe as fun to to place a wager on them to win just given how tight some of them are so we've talked about teams now. What about some players, Sean? Who who are some individual guys that you're looking forward to really watching during however long their NCAA tournament time might last? You know, for me, I, the past few days have just been involved of been involved in a lot of different player pools, whether it's points, rebounds, and assists or, or points. So I've just been kind of staring at these spreadsheets for the past few days. But uh, kind of touched on Marshall earlier, and really looking forward to seeing John Elmore play. Uh, I think he's averaging around 22, 7, and 7 or something along those lines. He's a junior. And Sports Illustrated did a pretty good feature article on him back in December. And they're matched up with a really tough Wichita State team. So once again, you know, they have a tough matchup where I, I think they would definitely be capable of pulling an upset. But Wichita State and, and Marshall, uh, they usually, you know, they know how to play in March. So that'll be that'll be a tough one. I guess some some other players, uh, Keelan Martin for Butler. I feel like he's been around in college for for twenty years, and he actually gave <laughs> yeah he, he gave UNC a, a tough time, and you know not even the most recent Maui experience, but the one back in two thousand and twelve, I believe. And he was first team first team Big East, but yeah, he's been he's been around forever, and I could see him him having a really good game. And then mentioned Demarcus Simons for Georgia State. And then I'm going to go Trey Young with, with Oklahoma to just see how he does. He got all that publicity, uh, kind of the January, early February timeframe, and then really fell off as, as Oklahoma fell off. But uh, they have a tough matchup in Danny Hurley's Rhode Island squad. But if they can get by them, you know, maybe he's looking for a little revenge against Duke. Because uh, I remember he, he visited Duke after going to the top 100 camp a few years ago. And it seemed at that time that they thought he was too small. So maybe. He just has one of those, you know, memorable first rounds and, and is able to kind of, you know, score 30 points a game and knock off Rhode Island and knock off Duke. But 
I think a lot of individual talents. So it'll be fun to see who steps up and, and who kind of becomes that March Madness darling over the next few days. All right. So if you had to pick one upset, uh, we'll keep to the first round. So just Thursday and Friday, what's the one upset that you will go ahead and go on record here and say will happen? Are we talking just kind of lower lower seeds or or the yeah. spread? As, okay. Yeah, let's okay. go. Let's go just based upon seed line. Okay, um, I'm going to go with Loyola Chicago on that one. I know the spread isn't isn't that that large, but I do like them. I'm not going to go with the upset, but I, I I'm really interested in the Kentucky Davidson game. I think Peyton Aldridge mm-hmm. is a is a great player, and Davidson, a well coached team, a senior team that could give the the Wildcats fits, even though they've been been playing pretty well. But the other upset I'm going to go with is uh, South Dakota State over Ohio State. Uh, so we have a five. Yeah, we have, we have a five twelve, and I think it's around an eight point spread. So one of the one of the larger ones, and. The reason for this one, uh, South Dakota State has has Mike Dom, who is, I'd say, one of the top kind of individual players in the tournament. And he was in March Madness last year, and a lot of people were kind of saying, oh, I'm you know, excited to see how South Dakota State does as a, a 16 seed against Gonzaga, and they got absolutely destroyed. Uh, but <laughs> he's averaging 24 points, almost 10 and a half rebounds. And I, I feel like maybe maybe that experience last year got them a little more ready for Ohio State, who has Kata Bates Diop and and UNC got fans got to see in December. But uh I'm just not a big uh Big Ten fan this year. I, I didn't really going back to the December game, I think that was one of the few times I just was not worried at all. And I know they went fifteen and three in the Big Ten, but I think that speaks more to the Big Ten strength uh than it does how good Ohio State was over the past few months. So I'm going to go South Dakota State as kind of a bigger point spread upset, and then uh, Loyola Chicago just as kind of a, a lower seed. All right, nice. Well, let's go ahead and take our first commercial break then. And when we get back, Sean, let's start discussing UNC in this year's NCAA tournament. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back after this. And we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegler here with Sean Moran of Sean Mo Hoops. Sean, we spent the first half of the podcast just kind of going through the brackets and talking about a bunch of individual teams and players. Let's start narrowing this down and talking about the heels. So Carolina obviously plays against Lipscomb in the first round. That's a, the game on Friday. I don't foresee Carolina having too much problem with, with Lipscomb, but, you know, stranger things have happened. When you're looking at this year's Tar Heel team generally, though, what do you think is going to be the number one thing that the Tar Heels must do if they're going to try to get back to that Final Four? So in, in terms of things that they must do, and, and this is something they, they do on a regular basis, but is, is offensive rebounding. Uh, they're always one of the top teams, and this year I think second in the in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. But they're going to have to keep really keep that up to kind of you know get the – Obviously, they're they're shooting a lot more threes this year, and it's kind of getting those second chance opportunities, which we saw in the most recent Duke game and a lot of the other games. And I think they're going to have to kind of continue to play and 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 go to that strength just to get those other opportunities. But you know, really, it's going to come down to come down to defense. We all know you get UNC can score, and they have uh, a lot of scoring threats on, on the court. But you know, defensively, uh, they started to definitely play better in the, in the ACC tournament and. And that'll have to continue because, as we talked about a few weeks ago, at the time they had kind of a, a Duke profile that was a strong offensive team and extremely weak defensively. And, and we've seen 
what can happen uh, in the tournament when it's one game, 40 minutes, and and if somebody gets gets hot, uh, it it can cause a lot of a lot of issues. So I would say defensively of just kind of staying, you know, staying in front of their man, not overhelping, uh, and giving up kind of the corner threes that they were doing doing so earlier in the ACC. But you know, in in terms of their their draw, I was pretty pretty happy uh, with that, and I think kind of echo uh, a lot of Carolina sentiment in terms of that. I was just hoping. They didn't draw Michigan State as a as a three seed and and Arizona as a four seed. So, in terms of the bracket, I think it's it's definitely doable. But yeah, it's going to come down to their defense, and that's something that you know we've been talking about for a while. And and all the Carolina fans have been been looking for some improvement, and and hopefully we got that over the ACC tournament. So the three seed in Carolina's bracket, for anyone that may not know, is Michigan. Carolina obviously played Michigan earlier in the year, and it was a pretty one-sided game. How do you think that the Tar Heels will match up against the Wolverines if they were to meet in the NCAA tournament at this point in the season? Well, maybe before even even jumping jumping there, uh, in, in terms of Lipscomb, you know, a 15 seed and playing the same conference as, as Florida Gulf Coast and actually beat and upset Florida Gulf Coast pretty handily in their uh what is it? The Atlantic Sun tournament, but overall, you know, I think UNC should have their way, and and as long as they kind of contain Garrison Matthews and and don't let him go off for forty, uh, it should be a win. And then, really, when I saw the Texas A&M Providence game, my very initial reaction was, oh, that matchup is going to be or could be the toughest matchup to get to the Final Four. And mm-hmm. once again, I know you guys talked about this last time, but you have Texas A&M and and really underachieved this year. They were pretty highly ranked in the preseason. And, and I actually got to watch them in person when they were out in LA play USC. And I was pretty impressed just with their their two bigs, Williams and Davis, and then uh, their shooting and, and DJ Hogg and, and then their point guard play, which was, you know, they had some, a veteran presence, just tough physical guards. And they, they really didn't get it together in, in SEC play. I know they started to play well uh, a little bit lately and then lost... Uh, at the buzzer to to Bama and Colin Sexton, but I think they, you know, that could be a, a tough matchup for the Heels, as you know, could Providence. Uh, I think Providence would be potentially a little easier. Uh, they don't have a lot of depth, and uh, they beat Xavier and almost beat Villanova. But I, I think UNC could handle those guards. Uh, but really, you know, I'm I'm a little little nervous about that that matchup, and we know how UNC had a close call last year against Arkansas, but. Uh, to kind of get back to your point in Michigan, you know, everywhere you watch ESPN, uh, you know, CBS, et cetera, everybody's picking Michigan to go to the final four and everybody saw how they won the big 10 conference and they've been playing a lot better defense ever since UNC played them. But the only thing I would be worried about would be uh, UNC being overconfident, knowing that they beat them pretty handily the first time and, and not taking them seriously. If Michigan were to get there and UNC were to get there, but I think they match up well and teams rely on on the shooting and, and spacing. And I think it'd be a, a high scoring affair. I'd definitely be taking the over in, in that one again. But I think they, ma- they match up pretty well and, and it wouldn't be something to be extremely concerned about in the Sweet 16. Michigan, to me, they just seem like a team that is similar to Carolina in that if they are hitting on all cylinders, they could almost beat anybody in the country. But even given that, you know, if Carolina and Michigan both played at their best, I just get the sense that Carolina's best is a little bit above their level. 
maybe I'm, you know, having a little bit of an ACC bias, but that's just what I see when I look at a potential matchup against the Wolverines. No, I, I think that's that's right in terms of talent. And you look at how uh, either the Big Ten uh, or UNC has done it against the Big Ten since Roy, Roy's been around. And UNC always has a, a talent advantage, and they do very well against the Big Ten. I think, as we saw back in November, Michigan State is probably the only team in that conference that talent-wise and athletic-wise uh, is actually probably superior to UNC. So, I, yeah, I, th- I think they would have the, the talent and athleticism on Michigan. Now, obviously, John Beeline is a is a great coach, and it is pretty crazy to see that Michigan is rated number five in uh, Ken Palm's defensive ratings, which normally you see in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and, and they're not known for their defense. But uh, that just kind of goes, I think, to his focus on on hiring a defensive coordinator, uh, quote unquote, and kind of letting somebody else really pull kind of do what Tom Thibodeau did with the Celtics, you know, back in in their championship run of just let somebody focus on that and really kind of try to improve on that side. But if that matchup comes true, and and honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if if Houston beat San Diego State if they upset Michigan in the second round. But I think it'd be a high scoring game and. And obviously they have some talent in Mo Wagner and, and Charles Matthews, et cetera. But uh, if UNC doesn't lay an A, I think they would come away victorious. So let's go into a little bit into the hypotheticals then, Sean. If Carolina is going to make that deep run, which of the Carolina players has to be on top of their game for this tournament? Uh, can I answer everybody? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, no, I, well, I, I think it is. It is going to have to, you know, Joel Berry is going to have to have to be attacking and making his three, and and hopefully Cam Johnson is healthy and making his outside shots, and and hopefully Luke May is playing like he did against UVA rather than than Duke, uh, and then hopefully, you know, you have Garrison Brooks or Sterling Manley. One of those guys is giving a little bit off the bench, but I'm going to go with Theo Pinson. Uh, he's been been mm-hmm. for the most part playing great over the last few months uh now that he's kind of taken over more of the i'd say point guard role and the, the distributor role and he's kind of come into his own as not only you know a scoring threat but also rebounding assists and kind of you know bringing out that i'd say the aau theo from a few years or not a few years ago but four years ago that made him that that five-star recruit and he was playing well against miami and gotten some foul trouble against duke but still played well in his limited minutes and then really against virginia had one of his his worst games one for 10 for the field and he had six rebounds six assists but you know i I was really hoping and kind of expecting if unc was going to beat uva he needed to be the catalyst of of kind of uh, being that chris clark of virginia tech when they beat uva and attacking the basket and he was kind of settling for jump shots so if he's attacking and and he's having fun and, and smiling and, you know, getting on the break for dunks and, and kicking it out to open players. I, I think that'll really help decide how far Carolina can go, depending on if, if, the, if the really good Theo can, can show up. I think it speaks volumes to how the Carolina team has basically evolved over the season because at the start of the year, it was, you know, the team will go as far as Jill Barrett can take them. Then in the middle of ACC play, it was how far can they go with Luke May playing as well as he's playing. Now you see Theo kind of being that that engine. And I agree with you, actually, that at this point, I think it is Theo who must play at least, you know, maybe not as far as scoring the ball, but he needs to be like that distributor, that attacker setting guys up. 
And I think this goes to a point that Greg Barnes made on on one of the podcasts where we really haven't seen everybody for Carolina play well at the same time. And if they can get to that level in this year's tournament, I really think it's wide open. And they do have a good shot at getting to the Final Four for the third time in three years. Yeah, and I, I think that I definitely agree with that. And and you just look at their starting five, and you have you know, Barry and Pinson, two five star players, Cam Johnson, a six eight shooter, Luke May, uh, you know, first team All ACC, almost the Player of the Year, and then uh, Kenny Williams, a six four athletic shooting guard. And starting five, you know, for the most part, I would put against any starting five in the country. And then, you know, they have pieces off the off the bench, but kind of what you were talking about, John, of, you know, at the beginning of the year is Joel Berry, and then at the beginning or middle of the year is Luke May, and now kind of at the end, it's maybe more Theo Pinson. And I think that'll, you know, really hopefully benefit them uh, starting starting this weekend and, and hopefully going over the next three weeks where, you know, as you said, it's been difficult to get everybody hitting on the same page, but if somebody has an off game, it's not like, uh, you know, the sky is falling and, and what can Carolina do, but they've had so many other guys step up and kind of lead the team that if something goes awry, there's somebody else to step up. And, you know, as we've seen over the years, anything can happen in the tournament. And, you know, if, if Kenny Williams, for example, is able to step up, that, that's going to be huge if, say, Barry is having a bad game. And, you know, really to get to the Final Four, you need that that luck, whether it's, you know, other teams losing or or just kind of those few possessions, you know, i.e. The, the Arkansas game last year. So, I think that'll really help them in terms of of kind of having to rely on different players at different points of the year. All right, let's close this one out, Sean, with getting your final four picks. Uh, we did this with everyone else on the other podcast. I'm not going to let you off the hook, man. Who do you have going to San Antonio this year? All right. Uh, you, you know, that's, a, that's a tough one because I know just looking at the last two years, you had a you had a seven seed in, in South Carolina going, which nobody really projected. And then two years ago, a 10 seed in Syracuse. And with how wide open this this year feels with no dominant team, keep kind of going with those those top seeds and saying, wait a minute, you know, there, there's going to be an upset. So where, where's the upset? And I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. But up in the, in the South, I have, I still have Virginia, Virginia going. I don't feel nearly as confident about that without DeAndre Hunter. And I think that Sweet 16 matchup, if they play, I'd say more so Arizona, that could be a, a danger game with DeAndre Ayton and and how they're playing. But I think UVA and Arizona matchup, whoever wins that game will go. So I have UVA in the West. I have uh, UNC making it out of there, which would be nice because that would mean I would get to see them twice in Los Angeles. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> going with the East, I am, I guess this one is where I'll stray from the normal course of Villanova, which is supposed to be kind of the easiest bracket. And I'm going to go with uh, Florida mm. in, in this mm-hmm. one. And, you know, who knows, they could easily be knocked out uh, <laughs> come the last game in, in Thursday in the first round by St. Bonaventure. But just for, for taking kind of a, a lower seed, I'm going to go Florida, given their experience last year. And then, even though I really think Bucknell has a good shot at beating Michigan State, I'm going to go with uh, Michigan State in the Midwest. And if they match up with Duke in the Sweet 16, that's going to be a battle, just kind of like that Kentucky-UCLA game was last year before UNC played Kentucky. But I think whoever matches up with Kansas, if Kansas makes it to that Elite Eight, I think uh, the offensive rebounding of either a Duke or Michigan State is going to be the difference in 
and getting to the final four. But just to stay on the safe side in the, on a Carolina podcast, I'm going to go with Michigan State <laughs> instead of Duke in my final four. There you go, man. All right, Sean. Well, hey, I really appreciate you joining me for this one. What do you got coming up on your website? Anything new hitting it lately? Uh, I just did a, a general college basketball podcast, which came out on Wednesday. Uh, just kind of similar to this about some thoughts and, and players to watch out for and, and top games. And then uh, hopefully we'll we'll have some some good stuff and some good interviews over the next few weeks. All right. And for those who didn't catch me at the very beginning, that is Sean Mo Hoops. And we will go ahead and sign off here. Sean, thanks again, man. We'll talk during the tournament and hopefully we will be discussing some Carolina victories. Yes, definitely. Hopefully, uh, you know, we're talking about the, the upcoming Sweet 16 and Elite Eight next week. That would be nice, man. All right. Take it easy, everyone. From us at Inside Carolina, we'll talk with you guys again soon. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie.